0: On today's episode of the Data-Driven Podcast, Andy interviews Tommy Yonolis, founder of Ops Analytica. As a former stand-up comic turned SaaS founder, he has extensive experience helping businesses become more efficient and profitable through process, accountability, and data. Now on to the show.
1: So what is your role at Ops Analytica? Ops Analytica, yes. So what's your role there?
0: So I'm one of the co-founders of Ops Analytica. Uh, This is my second tech startup. My first one, I had a couple business partners and we did a, we were more of a workflow business. And then in 2015, well, actually in 2013, I'll just give you the whole story. So I graduated from college with a hotel restaurant degree, promptly went into hotel restaurant management. About three months into that career, I did stand-up comedy on a whim for the first time as I like, could open my comic, Yeah, uh, mainly because one of my best friends was like, dude, you're like 23. You don't want to be in your 40s with a wife and kids and a mortgage in the suburbs and regret that when you were 23, you never tried it. So go try it. So I wow. did. I went and did stand-up. And then literally first night on stage, I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. All I want to do is stand-up. and so. For the next 10 years solid, I just worked in the hospitality industry and did stand up as much as I could. And uh, I was out of Denver. And I, I toured the whole Western part of the US doing stand up gigs and, and clubs and bars and all that stuff. But by around 2004, 2005, I was in my 30s. I was broke. I was kind of like, you know, I had always said at the beginning, if in 10 years, I'm not making the kind of money doing stand up. That I could be making doing at the time was country club management. Then I got to really think about it because it's, you know, I want to do stand up, but I want to have a great life too. I don't want to be broke into my 50s, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that's why I got into tech startups because I wanted to be rich. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, anywho, so I did that. And then I was like, you know, I was actually coming back from the Vegas Comedy Festival and I was like, I just got to get an MBA. Like, I got to do something else. And I literally, this is like the best call ever. I'm driving back from Vegas Comedy Festival. I literally call my alma mater, the University of Denver. I call, I just get the switchboard. I remembered the number from like undergrad 10 years earlier. I call the grad school and I go, hey, I want to get an MBA. How do I do that? Which I think the lady at the school was so nonplussed that anyone would just, had done zero research whatsoever, (laughs) was calling. Thank God I didn't give her my name. And she's like, well you kind of have to take the g mats and you have to apply and i'm like g mats and apply thanks hang up the phone (laughs) like that's like legit how that it went down and so you know i got into mba school um still did some stand-up during that got my degree and i really wanted to get an mba because i had an undergraduate degree and i thought well, I've just been bouncing around doing standup. I mean, some jobs I was like managing things and other jobs I was waiting tables, you know, like sure. because I was good in the hospitality field. I could do whatever I wanted within the restaurants or clubs. I just it was fine for me. So I was like, I got to get an MBA to kind of like bookend this 10 years of standup comedy experience because no one's going to hire me for like a real job with like my current resume, you know. And so that's what I thought the MBA would do. It okay. did not, by the way. Really? Oh, oh, no. Like people looked at it in my MBA, but then they looked back and they were like, what the heck is this guy, man? Like it didn't make any sense to anyone. And at the time, right after I got my MBA, I was actually like vice president of like a two comedy club operation. So which the hospitality industry is completely full of generalissimo's anyways. Like, you know, you'll meet a guy who's got one restaurant and he's like president, CEO and you know, whatever. So anyway, like nobody knew what to make of me. So like every single job application I put out there just got rejected like by the systems, you know, because they just like, think it just, it, it would break the algorithm, I think. And so I ended up like changing that VP of ops job to like a consulting position. And and I ended up getting a job at Quiznos. And then as a Quiznos, I ended up, uh, it was in 2008 at the height of the Quiznos implosion and the economy was going to hell in a handbasket. I
1: remember.
0: Yeah, I got this job where I was, they told me like, I got, I got promoted into ops. I got through the first major layoff of that period and I got promoted up into a, a job from op into ops. And they were like, you got to report on all these checklists that we're doing. We're doing all these audits. We're hitting every restaurant every month. We got to report on this. And so I ended up inventing. Um, well, I ended up going to it and then it did what it does. They said, no, Then I went back to IT (laughs) with a different solution. Hey, I'll do it. And they said, no, security issues. I'm like, you right? bitches. You (laughs) know? And so then finally my boss was just like, dude, how much is this going to cost for you to build this? I'm like, 2,500 bucks. He's like, take my Amex. Put it on there. Let's go. Like, we don't have time for this. Because, you know, IT is just always a blocker for everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I ended up building like a, a 2008 audit platform that you could do on like a those palm and those really thin like windows phones. Yeah. You could go into a restaurant and just answer questions online and we could collect the data and analyze it. Nice. So that was how I kind of went from restaurants and comedy into tech. And then a buddy of mine had gotten recruited by Semantic, and he wanted to backfill his position at this other company. And he was like, do you want to go more into tech? And I was like, well, I got to get out of Quiznos because those guys aren't going to be around for a long time. So I kind of just pivoted (laughs) into tech. And then in 2013, I had a guy who I was going to fire. And I was like, but we were going through the whole HR process. And I said, hey, I'm going to give you a training project and I want you to build it. And, you know, it was going to be kind of his test. And I said, build me that thing I built at Quiznos. And And we laid it all out and he built it and we made a video and someone wanted to buy it. And I was like, hmm, maybe there's a, maybe there's a business here, you yeah. know? I and mean, we literally put it online and like a day later, someone wanted it. That was like, by the way, if you're like going to be a, a tech founder, do more due diligence on your market than that, because that's <laughs> what I did. <laughs> and it was like, that was not enough due diligence. Um, yeah. it, but so anyways, yeah, we built it out. These guys wanted to buy it, but it wasn't really a product. It was a video. It was like vaporware but it was really trying to sell consulting services because that was our business. And, um, and so anyway, I just spent the next like 18 months, nights and weekends, getting this thing built out, getting it into some restaurants, uh, doing massive, like eight major revisions off the beta, you know, just like in eight months, like just trying to get this thing to work and sort of end of 2014, going into 2015, we were going to lose our biggest client and semantic wasn't going to support the software platform that we were experts in anymore. And so it was kind of like, well, what are we going to do? And me and one of my partners, Eric, we decided, Hey, we really want to try this checklist thing that we built. And, and we, and SAS was relatively new yeah. in 2015, I'm not saying yeah. there were no SaaS platforms, but you know, most enterprise software was still being sold as on-prem Servers that you put in your data center, you know, like sure. that stuff was emerging, but it wasn't as ubiquitous as it is today. And that's only seven, almost eight years ago, right? Yeah. So we were like, let's let's get a subscription and let's do this, and
1: and so we founded Ops Analytica, and that's how okay. we got here. And that's what Ops Analytica does now, based off that checklist idea. Yeah. So it's operations analytics so what we do is we help our clients
0: manage and measure their human teams that are out in all of their locations around the world and we help them collect we help them manage like their day right so we say we take the guesswork out of running the business because you get a schedule of all the different checks that you need to do and then as they complete those checks They are running a better business because they're controlling what they can control and they're ensuring that they're not missing things that they might forget about.
1: And at the same time,
0: we're collecting data. We're turning human activity into data in a database, right? Yeah. Which has generally been a black hole in the world because you couldn't tell what your people were doing. You could just back into how you thought they were doing by looking at other KPIs, but you didn't actually know what they were doing. And now we can let you know what
1: they're doing in real time. You know this has an element uh, uh, to me of the, and I'm trying to remember the name of the GE plant where they monkeyed with the amount of light. And I, I can't remember the name of the plant. So, and I'm I'm sorry, but the but you you're familiar with it. Uh, MBA yeah. courses use this all the time. They turned yep. the light up and productivity increased. They turned it back down and productivity increased. And it's the act of being measured is what kind of came out. That's the lesson. And I love that. I love that component of, of, and that's what leaped to the front of my mind is just the fact, and and I don't know that the employees are aware of this or not, but I'll bet they are. Yeah. Just the fact that somebody's standing in a corner (laughs) with with some sort of device and checking some boxes, that may be enough, you know, to inspire this effect. Well, yeah, and what
0: really it comes down to, too, and, and there's a great book that I recommend everybody get if you haven't read it or listen to it. It's Atul Gawande's The Checklist Manifesto, and he is a surgeon, and he does a whole book on the history of checklists and also the what it took for them to implement what they call the safe surgery checklist, which is yep. something that more and more people are doing because the results were so overwhelming. But yep. his basic concept of the book is that we live in a world where everything is too complex and has too many steps today. And a lot of that is just all the apps that we've added on top of the actual job that people were doing, right? But like that, there's just two we have, we are like suffering from overload that Mm -hmm. we cannot keep up with. And there are all of these vital steps and all of these processes. Like you don't have a business, you don't actually have a business, if it's not a series of repeatable processes that you can scale. If you don't have that, you're just a cult of personality that you get to charge money for. But like every business in the world is just processes. And people miss steps in vital processes and they call them all or nothing processes. And if you miss one step in that, you might as well not have done any of the other steps because you can't complete the step, right? Like if you do everything right on landing the plane, except for putting the gear down, then the plane (laughs) crashes and everyone dies. It didn't matter that you did the other 99 things correctly because the one all or nothing step was tires hitting the ground didn't happen. And, And. that's everybody's business and what we're also finding right and i think this is so interesting and we primarily work with big multi-location businesses some of them are worldwide is that what people are getting pissed off about aren't it's not like the person came behind the counter and like punched your wife in the face and started choking your kids and spitting on you that's not the problem that you're not running into these massive i mean occasionally you have these massive incidents where somebody really screws up but for the most part it's like and we'll just use restaurants as an example you go into the restaurant and the floor is sticky and then you sit down at the table and the ketchup's empty and then they didn't bring your whole order so now you're standing by the counter and your food's getting cold and you're waiting for a fork and there's no straws and the coke's not flat like it's 500 little things That are just a little bit off, and not one of them is enough that would make you lose your mind and never go back. But you hit 10 of them in a row in the same, in the same occasion or over the last three occasions, and all of a sudden you're like, this place sucks. Right. And and by the way, that's all stuff they already know they need to do. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you ever go to Macy's at Christmas time? You're just like, Did like, did like a bomb blow up in here? Like nothing's folded. There's just hangers everywhere. You can't actually, like, it's just death by a thousand cuts. There's like the store, the the dressing room's dirty. There's paper tags everywhere. There's, you know, you just go, not one of those things would be enough for you to never go to Macy's again. But when you string 20 of them together, you're just like, I don't want to, This is I don't want to spend my money here, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So that's what we're really trying to help these people solve is that. Like just here, just go through and look at this list of things and just make sure you turn the sign on. Is the music on? Did we check the floor? Are the meat patties filled? You know, like all those things are all important to the overall functioning of the business. And like operations are what you do to to deliver products and services and collect money, right? That's what operations are. Marketing brings people in, operations happen, revenue is generated, right?
1: Yeah. So, so I, I love the, I love the descriptions uh, of everything that you do there, not just uh, for what you're doing, but the way you described it, I, I picked up some passion there. Love that. And I would also say I'm a Gawande fan as well. Although I've only written, I read two of his books. One of them is the checklist manifesto. The other one was better better was an amazing eye-opening and I was actually in management at the time I read that book. Um, I was managing a team that grew to about 40 um, ETL developers and started with about two dozen and then we grew. And the checklists were in there. All of the seeds of the checklist manifesto were in better. And it was a, a lot of what you just described out of the checklist manifesto. And i I think it's so cool what, you know, what you're doing, and I'm not surprised it's a successful business. That's that's really cool. One other thing I'd like to to commend you on is the iteration that you did on getting it right, Re, rebuilding a beta and then rebuilding on that and rebuilding on that. You said eight times in eight months. That's a lot of work. And People who haven't developed software, single-handedly especially, and I have, I still do, yeah. They, they don't get the amount of work that it. that is you're not doing nine to five and taking the weekends <laughs> off when you're building those kinds of revisions oh man so kudos to you on that and now hopefully you're enjoying the fruits of those all those efforts today that's that's my hope
0: well I am and thank you and you know there's like so I had so this was a when we first started this this was a business within a business so we were still mm-hmm. doing workflow Consulting going on site, you know, building custom processes for usually IT or security processes, like integrating systems to this workflow platform. So yeah, most of the, the initial ops Analytica was built between 10 PM and 5 AM over a series of and nights and weekends. Like I yeah. would literally, like, I think if I ever get like super, super rich, I'm not going to feel guilty about it for one second because there were so many nights where I was in my office at four in the morning with like baby kids, you know, Mm. like a two year old and a baby looking out my window at all my neighbors asleep going, what are you doing? And I would do one of those things where I would work all day, take off at like four, get the kids, make everyone dinner, hang out with everybody, put everyone to bed by 10. Yeah. Uh, And then I would stay up from 10 to four or five maybe sleep for an hour, maybe go straight through and then work the whole next day and then sleep the next night. Right. Right. But like and then when we got to Ops Analytica, one of the reasons why our developer jumped on board with us originally was because we already had software and we had a business plan. And so he wasn't under the gun to just crank out some garbage so we could get an MVP going. So we could use our beta was basically the MVP. We then rebuilt that with an app and a workflow background, like a workflow backend, I should say. And then about 18 months later, we realized our workflow backend just wasn't like, it just, at that point in time, you weren't, a platform that was an app and the backend just wasn't sexy. Everyone was moving their backends into their apps. So we did the same thing. And then we recoded out that workflow platform into Mm. the app so really we're still like i would say we're on still version 2 but version 2 released in 2017 but that was
1: you know three iterations of this thing at that point right well i love the description of the flow of the process and it's it i imagine it was kind of like eating your own dog food right you were trying to build workflows for other people you have all of this workflow experience from semantic and and other things that you've done and it just kind of naturally you're used to identifying patterns and you know in series of actions already i could just see you gobbling that right up and internalizing it and having it not only show up in the in the finished product but actually inform your development processes absolutely well and you know when you're developing like i
0: we use trello to kind of track mm-hmm. our uh, development yeah. stuff i've used trello. i still do yeah trello is yeah. great and uh the only problem with Trello is when you're going back and forth and you can't squash a bug, that card gets so damn long. You can't like figure out what's going on anymore at some point. You're that like, never oh, happens. God, what are you got to get about? a new card. This card's too <laughs> tainted. Um, but like, uh, but yeah, so it, it was, and it was interesting because like this platform is like a product of every part of my, mine and my business partners and our developers, like of our journey, because yeah. When I was at Quiznos, I, you know I have a hotel restaurant degree. I worked in restaurants. At right. Quiznos, we were corporate. We were building those processes and procedures and implementing them across thousands of locations. and we were auditing and collecting this data. And then when I went to the workflow stuff, it was about you know, breaking down a process into individual steps and then collecting data and using tasks and the power of all that data that we were collecting that could be analyzed, like where is the process breaking down? And so it was taking that practical real world checklist. This is how you operate a business. And that data stuff from like uh, that semantic uh, channel company, bringing that all together into this platform. And from day one, like kind of going, hey, we're gonna, like at the time when we started, audits were the big deal. And what an audit is, is a guy goes out once a month, once a quarter, and they do like a 200 question checklist, right? And right. audits are great for identifying system-wide issues, right? We yeah. went through 5,000 restaurants and like we found like a leaky hose on the back of the Coke machine in 2,500 of them. So now wow. we've identified this system-wide issue. We can go solve that. But True. an audit happens once a month or once a quarter. Daily yeah. checklists happen every single day. And that's how nice. you actually change behavior at a location, right? That makes sense. We created a feedback loop system or we, we designed a feedback loop system with the idea that you would go out and audit. From the audit, you would identify issues. You would then come up with a solution for those issues. You would then change the daily processes to then reflect a new behavior in the business or a solve for whatever your issue was. And then you would have your field guys pop in occasionally during these changes to grade how well we were doing on the changes and that you're basically creating a feedback loop that you collect data, come up with a solution, change a process, confirm the process change is happening, and then re-audit three months later and
1: look for the next big issue, you know? And so that's what we're trying to do with people. Yeah. So in another life, I did manufacturing automation and it's this term called instrumentation. And and that's exactly what you're doing. Every step is another instrument making a measurement. Every checkbox is that way. And believe it or not, a number, probably most of the manufacturing automation, you know, checking is Booleans. Did it happen? Did it yeah. not? You know, it's that sort of stuff. And the same analytics uh, applies to that, uh, Tommy. And I I remember <clears throat> uh, years ago uh, in, in that process, we were I was working in a plant and we needed to fill up a large tank. I mean, it was it was maybe 15,000 gallons. And while we had the sensor mounted, we didn't have the like the meter that would actually show you, you know, how far it is from the top in feet or <laughs> centimeters or what have you. And but we did have that number that would eventually be converted to that, and we knew what the number needed to be to cut it off. So I've created this is XL2O. I created an Excel spreadsheet. I would get a date, you know, automatically get the date whenever I put in an entry, and I just kept doing. And it would average the last three values that it had, and give me a predicted when it's going to hit that number. Of course, it would wobble a little bit. Sure. But the the real cool part of that story is years later, I'm working in my first data warehouse job, doing uh, data integration, what we call data engineering today. And we had a process to load data from Jacksonville to Denver across a really old crappy pair of uh, of copper. And we knew it was going to take a day, but we wanted to know the instant it finished so that we could then tell our customers, yeah, you can turn this on. I used the exact same spreadsheet, of course, updated now to XL97 or whatever. And That's it was because it's the same thing. You know, it's a it's a process. It's going to take time. It's analog in this case, but you can use instrumentation to aim for a target. And I imagine your your process does that as well. Maybe you set either thresholds or goals or both. Yeah. And and things you're looking to see. All right. When do we when do we activate this um, level of confidence? When do we actuate our individuals or our our unit, which is a restaurant or a a region of restaurants. I imagine that's all in there. Yeah, and it's all schedule
0: based. So, like, for the employee level, what they're getting is they come in, they turn on Ops Analytic at the beginning of the day, and they just get their to-do list for the day of checklists and when they need to do them. But like, but like, it can be, you know. And so then their their job is just to kind of they're they're operators. They're not there to like think through and go, hmm, should I do it like this or do it like that? Mm-hmm. No, we just need these twenty things checked. We need to make sure you're safe. We need to make sure you're ready for guests. Like there's sort of three yeah. things that a multi-location business, whether it's a dentist office, an x-ray place, restaurant, automotive, they all have three things that they are they really have to focus on, right? One, uh, cleanliness or an inviting space, right? Sure. Obviously for food safety and not medical, it's cleanliness is more important than that. But even like retail, right? Everything doesn't matter. Yeah. Cleanliness- and an inviting environment so that people, when you go in to spend money there, you go, okay, I want to be here. Number two, it's product execution, right? I want to get what I am paying for the way it's supposed to be, right? I don't want you to leave the the oil pan plug out of my car so I drive four blocks and then I drop my engine, right? I want you to do it right. And the third thing is speed of service. And speed of service is different for every Entity going to Roost Chris steakhouse versus going to McDonald's. There's a different expected time frame. You're going to be there, but there is a time that's probably too long for both, right? Like if you if you're at Roost Chris, you're expecting to be there for two hours, not four, right? You don't want your take three hours to hit your table, type of thing. And that doesn't matter. It could be getting an x-ray. I can give you 30 minutes for an x-ray. I know the dentist is going to take an hour, but if he takes five, then I'm pissed off, right? Right. Those are the three attributes we're trying to help everybody kind of manage through our system. And so we like to talk about taking the guesswork out of the system. But then, like you said, we can have all these one offs, like what makes our platform unique in our space. And we are the most technologically advanced platform within our competitive space. I'm not saying we have every feature that everybody else has. Sure. But in two very specific areas, which I would suggest are probably the two most important areas, but I could be wrong. Um, uh, I think we're the technological leaders in that we can build the most complex checklists, um, and we have the best reporting. And so when okay. I say and what we built is a business logic engine, and you'll you'll get this because you're you're a developer. We took we built our own version of like net For our business language that only works within our platform. So yeah. we can write custom logic to do things that other people can't do. And it's allowed us to have offerings like dynamic checklists where okay. you can have a thousand locations and 95% of them are exactly the same, but yeah. 5% is different. And when the checklist loads, it figures out what's different and it conforms itself to each location. And like, that's one of those things you go, okay, that's cool. I guess like people don't really get it at the beginning because they don't, people that are coming into our vertical, a lot of them are just going from paper to digital. So they don't know, they don't know yet. Right. And we get a lot of, we're a lot of clients, second vendor because they go to their first vendor and that guy obviously doesn't say, Hey, these are important attributes that you should have. And so they get in there. And then when they start actually using the platform, then they get addicted to the data. Then they want to do more. They find out that they can't do it on some of these other platforms. But like just that little thing of of auto changing the checklist, right? What that does is number one, it simplifies reporting. You got one report. You don't have to have 50 versions of the same checklist to accommodate for all the variability within your business. Makes it easier to administrate because you don't have to have 50 checklists. You can just build one really good checklist And it makes it easier on the employee because like, let's take you about like safety. Do you want to leave it up to an hourly employee who's 17 years old, who's not going to be here three weeks from now to determine if this is safe or not, or do I, should I even answer this question? When you can dynamically make the checklist perfect for the location, you can require every question to be answered because you know, you're right. There's nothing on that checklist that they can't answer. So right. then you can ensure that you don't have this huge gap that you don't even know
1: about happening under your nose, you know. Nice. I I really like the uh, I like the idea, and and I love the uh, the thinking around it. I love that it evolved, and I really love the customization aspect that you just talked about. So I'm gonna personally. Because I'm a data geek, I'm going to go look it up and learn more about your uh, your platform. Cool. And it, I don't want to cut you off, but I, I think um, I think we got a good overview of Ops Analytics and, and your experience with it. And I think all of that is awesome. We have a, a set of questions. I don't know if you got a copy of the set of questions or not. I did and, and I just like to answer them off the cuff. OK, that works for me as well. And I know the first one, I'm actually, you can hear me clicking and rolling my roller wheel over here, looking for the next. The first one is what's the favorite part of your current job? Um, okay. My favorite like thing that happens
0: in the company, right, yeah. is when yeah. two things, one, when we get people turned on a lot of times we like, cause we'll implement them. And so mm-hmm. basically if you buy apps Analytica, you're going to get an imitation package. But what that means is that we are going to turn over the platform to you ready to go on day one with 90 days of complete iteration support. Right. So yeah. that you can change it after the fact, but you're not going to have to do any of that. We are going to handle it all thing and train you on how to do it. I love nice. when we turn stuff over to people and then, you know, we're usually faster than the client can move because we just get it loaded up and we get it going. And then they're like still trying to get trained and get all their ducks in a row. And I I love number one, when we just go, hey, are they even doing anything? And then you go over and they've done 2000 checklists and you're like, oh man, like, thank you. know Like that's the best feeling ever. Like when you build software, when people actually use your software and they like it and they get value from it. That's, uh, that feeds a software development team soul. Like that's Absolutely. what we for. Yeah. And that's our job satisfaction because there's not a lot of job satisfaction in a lot of other parts of making software. But when people right. actually utilize it Like I can't imagine those online game developers. You know, they built a game, and all of a sudden, they have a billion people using it. Or, you know, Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook, two billion people use this thing. Like, I don't like that's like you know that's he the money. Money's one of those things that you get it on the first day. You see a bunch of zeros behind a one, and you go, "Oh my god, I'm rich!" But then the next day, all your problems still exist, except now you have more money in your bank account and a whole slew of new problems. Uh, I guarantee you, he takes the most pride by like looking at, you know, how many people are using the platform or if he's evil, then he's like maniacally like, "Mm, like Dr. Evil. (laughs) I'm sucking away all their time. I've gotten a 12 trillion (laughs) hours of time from these idiots, these sheep, whatever. I don't know. When people unexpectedly are just using the platform and getting value out of it. And, you know, sometimes we'll just send out invoices and people just pay them and we just get a check and we didn't even expect it. And we're just like, you know, cause like when we were at the beginning, it was such a slog to get every customer. You know what I mean? Right. So like now we send out an invoice and people just return the check and they don't ever question it. And they're just happy as clams. Like that nice. feels, that's so amazing. The other yeah. thing that I love is when people come up with some new way of using it that I never thought of. Like okay. they build a checklist to, to tackle an issue that I would have, like, because I feel like I have a pretty good sense, especially in restaurants, what's going on. But yeah. they'll go do something, and I'm like, what an awesome use of the platform. <laughs> like, it just blows my mind. And that's yeah. when you know that, like, your software is working because people are expanding beyond. They're looking at it as a, a framework, like in Excel, right? Right, right. And they're going, oh, because I always compare us to Excel because excel is a framework and it can be it can be your christmas card list it can yeah. be your shopping list it can be the 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 spreadsheet that you utilize to run a fortune 10 company to do mm-hmm. analytics on it can do all of those things and so when people do something weird or cool with it you go now they're internalizing my software and they're seeing it as a tool and they're doing, and they're expanding their control of their business right. off, off that. That those are the best
1: two things when people that, secretly that is really are just awesome. using it. Yeah, yeah. And so my the highest compliment I can give software is that it's elegant. And, yep. and what often throws people is the idea behind the software can be really, really simple. And in fact, I I can't describe elegant software that isn't. That doesn't have that idea behind it. You know that it's really, really simple. It's something that could be duplicated on paper most of the time. Like your, you know, you you mentioned uh, competitors are using paper checklists, and that often leads them to you. And I've had that same experience you just described, where somebody took this really simple idea that I had coded out, and it wasn't. It, it's not a million decisions, but it's maybe a dozen decisions that. Just flow, everything just flow, and somebody's taken that and made this whole other thing out of it. And I'm with you. That's the highest compliment ever. You know, feels so good. And you know who? I mean, so
0: I'm an Apple guy as a person. I'm iPhone. I'm Apple Watch. I have. I'm on a Mac. I have Apple TVs throughout my house. I am an Apple guy as a person who owns a software company. I hate Apple because coding (laughs) for Apple apps is absolutely horrible they do and and also i just have to listen to my developer bitch nonstop about how screwed up everything is and how they're just and they have such bad documentation and they don't like and and they everything they do especially within the app store is all about control their control of your code and it makes it very difficult and i mean i've been in business almost eight years now it'll be eight years in january and Mm. we have probably spent 18 months coding things for Apple only usage that we did on the Chrome browser for Android in weeks. We implemented offline in three weeks on a Chrome browser and then had to code service workers into Apple for six months. So like that kind of stuff drives you absolutely batty. But having said all of that. The iPad is the exact, the the iOS interface is the exact epitome of what you said. When you can, my nanny, our nanny, who just left our family, she had a baby and that baby could sit on her iPhone and she wasn't even, she wasn't walking yet, but she could just scroll and move her finger and watch her cartoons, you know, uh, and I don't want to like it not in a bad way, like just this like a yeah. couple minutes here and there, but like she could manage the iPhone at less than one.
1: That yeah. is
0: the epitome of
1: simplistic, elegant design. I totally agree. Yeah. And we have a uh, a channel. I'll do a quick plug for the data channel, sure. and, and we have apps for that as well. And we do video and some training and stuff on it. We have subscribers. And it's available on all of these stores. We subcontract um, or contract with a company that manages the app part of that for us. And they, about every four or five months, I see the emails coming in because they copy me on and we're updating this and they're fighting the same battle you are and your developer is. And it's but at the at the end of the day, it's exactly what you said. I mean, you know, a one year old can operate it. And so, you know. it's an interesting battle
0: that's being fought between Android and iOS and you and I would, and I, I think I called this out like probably seven or eight years ago to some friends. And I, and I think I'm surprised that Apple's hanging. So it's open source versus complete control and everything you would think about in our world would be that open source would be so much better Right. right? Because there's so many people contributing. How could a, a limited group of re- developers compete with the entire world of development? But right. part of it's marketing and branding, but two is it's design. And so the design, I think, element of what Apple and iOS do outweighs the open sourceness of Android, right? Because- yeah. It true. I mean, yes, they are a marketing machine. They have created the Louis Vuitton of devices and computers. But but they've they said they and I think they understand like Android's great for Windows guys. Windows guys love Android because they can get in there and monkey around and screw with stuff. Everybody else who's not a developer doesn't want to go through 62 menus to find that switch that they move every right. release to some other button that just pisses you off, right? Like <laughs> like the rest of the world just wants shit to work. And, right. like, <laughs> and that's where Apple's winning. And like they continue to do things that just keep integrating their ecosystem together. So you just keep buying more of it, right? And yeah. obviously what's crazy in our world is that Apple's a third of the devices in the world, but they're over 50% of the devices on our platform. And yeah. we're a web app. And the only reason we even have a physical app in the Apple store is because Apple will not release Bluetooth or push notifications. Um, and I think, oh, yeah. And there's probably one other thing to a web page. Got gotcha. you. Chrome will. So I can do push notifications and like, you know, uh, and, and and service workers and all that stuff through Chrome, just the browser yeah but on uh, apple i've got to have a shell app that runs a website
1: that, well and and you know you you brought up a really good point uh, in that and what popped through my head as you were describing that is open source's strength is that it attracts as you said the world full of developers yeah apple's strength is that they have hired a group of designers and they sort of impose their will on the developers so what we, maybe the missing component to open source is open source designers. Yeah. Maybe that's what we need.
0: And, but, you know, it's like, you know, have you ever been like in grad school, they did this all the time. There's five of you in a group and you're all at the same level. Like you're all just managers, right? So yeah. then the group never functions as cohesively as it should because there's not an actual leader, right? And, and, and. And if I impose my will on everybody else and try to be the leader, then there'll be somebody in there that's going, what does he, who the hell does he think he is? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, Mr. Big Pants over there. We're all managers, dude. And that's the problem with open source is that there's yeah. no hierarchy in open source for someone to go, I'm the designer. You all, all you crazy ants that are running around in a pile, do what I want you to do, you know? And right. that, that's what limits it. And I did flip to Android. And I don't think I got the full Android experience. I got a phone that didn't work very well. So I guess I did. (laughs) Boom. Oh, (laughs) I I got an open source Android, like Motorola phone. And I, Mm -hmm. and I, I ported it onto Verizon. So I didn't buy like a Verizon app, Android phone from the Verizon store. And so I don't think I got the full experience of like the integration into Verizon's network as well. But Mm -hmm. like, I you know it was very it was clunkier and it it felt like a windows pc versus a mac and gotcha. and I get frustrated with apple because but I understand why they never make these massive upgrades like the upgrades to this latest version of iOS they're very small upgrades hmm. but then if you think about a phone like you can't you can't go hey we're changing how you call Because like that's such a fundamental thing in the world that if you changed it too much, people would lose their minds. So when I worked at this comedy club, we had this old antiquated phone system. And it, it was one of those times where it was a phone system where they had a computer in the building that managed the phone system. But they had a proprietary monitor and computer ports. That weren't normal. I mean, this is an old LCD like box monitor that you, not LCD, like a tube monitor, but they had weird jacks on there because they only wanted you to buy the hardware from the phone company. And so then the phone monitor broke. And so you couldn't get a replacement monitor. They were out of business. And you know, we moved the VoIP and the phones were slightly different. And I literally had people in tears. I don't understand why the whole, like you had to like, you had to pick up the thing and then hit the button versus just hitting the button. And then, you know, it was dumb, Yeah, but they had been on those phones for 20 years and they were in their mid forties and like their brains were exploding. So if Apple was like to go, Hey, you don't use numbers to make calls anymore. You think the person's name people would, their brains would explode. Or you're going to call your ex all the time. You'd be like that stupid jerk, man. All of a sudden, your phone would dial. No, I don't want to talk to them.
1: You know, that's hilarious. Well, we are uh, a little over our time, and I want to oh, appreciate sorry. you. appreciate your patience. No, it's not. It was awesome. <laughs> I appreciate your patience, and I want to be mindful of your time as well. Um, you've, you've answered a lot of the questions we would normally ask as we've gone through this. So I just want to um, we'll put a bow on this by asking where can people learn more about you and ops analytics? Uh,
0: it's ops O P S A N A L I T I C A.com.
1: Apologies for mispronouncing it. Ops oh, yeah, Analytica. No
0: um, okay. And that's the Portuguese spelling of analytics. That's why it's weird nice. um, because you know, you got to buy a URL. Um, so anyways, you'll put, you'll put that in the show notes. If you want to learn more about the platform, please check out ops You can chat in. If you want to ask some questions, um, if you want to catch me on LinkedIn, uh, just send me a friend request and I'll I'll join up and we can be friends and we can chat. My job now, just so everyone knows is to find new use cases for the platform. It's one of my main passions and goals. So I truly am dying to talk to people. Right. Um, yeah, to learn more about what they're going through to see if i could potentially help them i've got one of my favorite pairs of shoes is ruined because i was out touring a paint recycling facility a couple months ago so just to see how could i help them optimize what they have to do they actually have to track quite a bit of information for the government right so okay. that's i'm all about that and my email is tommy at ops analytica.com if you want okay. to put that in there too reach out. Mm -hmm. I really do just want to talk to you and find out what you're going through and see if I can help because every time I learn some other thing to solve, it makes my platform better.
1: Right? Yeah, really.
0: You're really doing me a favor by having these conversations with me.
1: Excellent. Well, Tommy, I want to thank you for uh, being on the show. I know Frank's really sad he couldn't be here. He had another thing come up and uh, you he would have enjoyed this conversation immensely. But uh, thank you from both of us
0: for uh, being
1: our guest on Data Driven. And we'll let the nice British lady take us out.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Data Driven podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we kindly ask that you take a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is invaluable to us and helps us to continually improve and provide the best possible content and experience to our listeners. And if you know how to make Microsoft Bookings work as advertised, please let us know.